that as we open up your word, you would reveal uh, your oracles to us and not allow us to get smarter, Lord, but allow us to worship you. And Jesus, I pray that you would be gracious in using me and uh, give me insight and wisdom to lead the shepherd well that you might be made much of. Uh, We love you, Jesus. We are thankful for freedom in Christ. Amen. Please be seated, family. If you need Bibles, go ahead and uh, raise your hand, and we will pass Bibles out to you so that you can be able to navigate the Scriptures. We love that. Uh, we, we are in chapter 27 of Exodus. If you are new, obviously you're on a moving train. Um, while we are almost a few chapters away from being done with our book, um, we would ask that you would look at, or maybe go on the Internet, and you can uh, enjoy a ton of sermons that hopefully will encourage you. Uh, right now, in the book of Exodus, uh, a lot of cool things are happening. Uh, God has uh, revealed himself to his people in the sense of that he's heard their cry um, of being oppressed and that he is going to free uh, them from Egypt, uh, protected them, guided them, fought for them. And now he's continually out. They're out in the wilderness, and he is uh, almost reinstituting or, or calibrating, as it were, uh, teaching them what does it mean to be uh, the people of God uh, because of the, during that time of being in captivity or being uh, slaves, obviously they had taken on so many different things that, that weren't um, the desires of Yahweh. So here we are, you know, getting um, an inside look on God preparing the people of God and helping them understand through the Ten Commandments uh, through the different ordinances, and then we've looked and and, and we actually and I should have told you guys, um, you know, the, the, the Rojek helped create this beautiful uh, replica of the tabernacle. I wanted to bring that out the next few weeks so you guys can keep looking at it, staring at it, getting used to it. So we'll we'll bring it back out for you visitors who haven't had the the blessing of of seeing it and helping you see where history fits in with some of the things that I'm talking about. Uh, but they then God actually builds this tabernacle and have, well, has the people of God build the tabernacle. And as it were, God begins to dwell with his people as a missionary, as uh, individuals who's out in the wilderness with his people. And, it's, and that's one of the reasons why he actually had it built to show that he was with his people. Here we are in Exodus 27, uh, continually talking about uh, this whole concept and, and what's going on with the tabernacle. And so, again, it's a little uh, uh, academic and tedious, but I want you to bear with me because God is wanting us to see some different things. Obviously, it's God's word, and so we don't take it lightly. Um, as before, I even jump into the text. There was a couple cool questions that were asked of me last week. Um, in addition to, uh, I love the beauty of this whole concept of setting up the tabernacle. I was just thinking to myself, I was like, okay, so this whole concept of, of setting up church isn't like a 21st, 20th century thing, right? They they were doing this all. They always was doing this, right? So I can like I can take heart in that. Um, there was two. Um, one one thing my my sister brought up. I don't know if she in here. Colette, she was awesome. She was she asked a question. Um, well, I thought they were, I thought the tabernacle was only there for 40 years because it was in the wilderness 40 years, right? So that's a good question. And so I just want to make clear what was going on there. When I say that they were like reconstructing this tabernacle and putting it in place or build, or, or they had this tabernacle in existence for a hundred and I said 400 years, um, what was happening is you had your 40 years where they were in the wilderness and they were setting it up and tearing it down. And then uh, specifically in Joshua 18, what happens is that the people of God, when they get into the promised land, um, they actually enter and they go into Shiloh. Boom. 
my niece. So they go, they go to, uh, and they actually set up the tabernacle um, in Shiloh, and then that's where it is uh, for the time of the judges, you know, Joshua, actually, and then the whole book of Judges, um, and it moves on even actually to the book of Ruth, and then actually when you hit Samuel um, is when they actually the, uh, the Philistines take uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and they destroy um, the tabernacle. So, so all that to say, that's the reason why it seemed kind of weird, but actually it is true. It was uh, many centuries where they were, they were, where God was tabernacling with his people uh, in this kind of tent. I hope that makes sense. Uh, the other question was from one of our young people, and I think it was, I think it was Owen, um, uh, asked, well, if you, I don't want to mess it up. I think it was like, if you couldn't touch the tabernacle, then how did they get it out of, out of the building? How did they get it out of the Holy of Holies? Um, which I think is a really good question. Um, and so that's, that's what's so beautiful about you. Think about how they built it. Remember how um, I, thought about, I thought somebody said that Owen asked the question. I thought it was, oh, it's Kate. Oh, okay, it was Connor. Okay, well, cool, brother. Um, well, basically, think about how beautiful this is. They actually built, remember, when you look at the text, they build the Ark of the Covenant first. And so they built inside out. So the way we do things, right, we build a house and then we put furniture in it. That's not what they did. It was so sacred, they built the Ark of the Covenant, and then they built around it, and then they built out to the temple courts. And so when they built the temple courts, they had already had this other stuff already erected. Does that make sense? So, so which is, I think, kind of crazy and awesome. Um, now we enter here into, I uh, just want to answer those two questions, uh, just to give us hopefully even more insight on what was going on during those times. Uh, now we're in Exodus 27, and I always want us to be thinking about what's, the, what's going on in the passage, the movement of the passage as we are, are jumping in here. So be thinking about that, and then I'm going to talk about a couple things, and we're going to enjoy, enjoy God this way, and then we're going to head home. Let me go ahead and read a text to you. Um, this text is focused on basically this, the altar, the components of altar. Um, starting in verse 1, we're in Exodus 27. Hope you're ready to rock. It says, You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. Verse 2, And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be uh, of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots uh, for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall also make it uh, for it uh, a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, uh, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the neck extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the, king, the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. And always, you know, in your Bibles, and you look at verse 8, that's a beautiful part when he always says, like, as it has been shown you on the mountain, it's just always to remind the reader that basically the Lord is the architect of this, Right. You're building exactly what I've shown you. You didn't make this thing up. And what we're talking about here in verses 1 through 8 is this whole concept, this brazen altar of sacrifice, which has many different names. Uh, Some of you hear the altar of bronze, um, the altar of burnt offering, the the outer um, outer altar, and a few things just for free. Um, This is the first thing. Now, remember that. You you walk into uh, the, the courtyard, and it is the first thing that you see, okay, is this is this altar, and that's so important because you got to remember that the people of God are walking in here. And, and, and at this point, now you know you're moving from world to sacred. Okay? 
So all of a sudden, the first thing you see is this altar. I won't get into the horns and those things. I won't get really down and, and, and dirty. We can talk about that later. If you want to see me, I can talk about the horns and how uh, they, it was amazing how they, the people would run. And, and um, if, they had, if, if, if the community had an issue with them, they would try to run. And if they grabbed hold of the horns, as it were, it was a like, hey, you can't get me now. It was, <laughs> it was one of those things where the horns on, the, on this altar, if they ran and they touched the horns, um, it actually freed them and also gave them a it was sacred ground, as it were, and it was almost like the people were given mercy by holding those horns. I, I, I don't have time to, to get into that, but with that, the reason why I even bring that up because it was such a place of refuge. The whole point was it was supposed to be a place of refuge, and it was to remind people that they needed to, as it were, run to the Lord in the midst of their brokenness. Uh, but what I want to focus in on it's this whole concept that there was the first thing that you saw when you walked into uh, the courtyard. Why is that? Um, why do you think that's the case? Think about that. I want to propose to you as the first thing to see because what God was trying to make very clear to you and me, especially from the Old Testament believer, and don't miss this, is that our only way to communion with Jesus is through sacrifice. So the first thing you saw is that you thought, man, so if I'm going to be in communi- connection with God... There needs to be a sense of a sacrifice. There needs to be a, uh, an atonement that needs to happen. And so every time you went into the courtyard, you were reminded of that sense that you yourself wasn't worthy to experience community, communion, intimacy with God. And what this does, I mean, you think about it. I mean, we talk about this a lot. It speaks against what works-based theology, right? I mean, it totally speaks against this concept of that you bring anything to the table, well, well, that's not really true, right? You bring something to the, to the table, right? You bring your need to be saved, that's right. right? That's all you bring is you bring your evil and your brokenness and your need to be saved. And so whenever a person, and, and, and I talk about this a lot, we're going to talk about two, like, uh, these signposts. That whenever, you, whenever they did this, they had to keep thinking about this over and over, year in and year out. And to even add to that, I just want to talk about the purity of this all. So... So first they would go in, they would see their need, but then also remember how we talked about the way they constructed all these things. And, and notice how, and I, I think this is beautiful, how from the outside going in, the closer you got to the Ark of the Covenant, the more precious everything is. Did you notice that? Did you notice? Even, even as we talked about uh, the overlaying that was over the, the Holy of Holies, right? You had... You had at the top, remember we said we don't even know what kind of animal it was, the skins, right? We, I, was, I would call it porpoise or whatever. I don't know what kind of animal that was. And Hebrew, and the Hebrew people still are arguing about what that is, right? Um, but as you, get, as you go further each time, the layers, it gets more intimate to the point where it's fine linen, right? When it gets to Yahweh's presence. When you think about way out here in the outer courts, you know, they're using acacia wood and they're using, uh, they overlay a little silver, a little bronze here, a little bronze here. And as you get closer, it's gold, right? So all these are, are signposts. What is God trying to talk about? Keep that in your mind. What is God trying to say? The closer you are to the symbolic presence of God, the finer the materials, and I, and, I, and I love the fact that even this altar, like everything else, was movable because it was a, a movable, movable deal that they, uh, that they did. But here's the point. Hebrews 9, verse 18 through 22 says this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. 
For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both the tent and all vessels used in worship. Verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let me add to that, and then let me explain why I'm going to these passages. So we see here this whole concept of, of God showing that, man, there had to be a sense of sprinkling of blood. There had to be a sacrifice that had to happen in order for there to be union with broken, messed up people. He says in Hebrews 13, 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good. This is Hebrews 13, verse 9. Write that address down. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Notice this, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. See that? Now notice that, this whole concept of who's, who's the altar? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place, places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Here's his point. I can't fellowship with God without offering a sacrifice because I'm a sinner and he is holy. There's something that he's trying to communicate that is so distant. I, I was really humbled in this process because I was like the concept of holiness is getting lost in the church. And it's interesting to me that one of the main, I thought, okay, what would be the main thing that God is trying to communicate to his people? When you think of all this whole concept of outer course, inner course, building a tabernacle, having a holy place, then the holy of holies, and having an ark of the covenant, and having a light in the holy place, but not in the holy of holies, and having this altar right in the beginning, right when you walk in. What is God trying to communicate? Seems kind of boring to us. We kind of go, and let's get to the good stuff. I like historical narratives. I like seeing somebody fight, seeing somebody come to Christ. This is what we want, right? We want Wild West. And then God spends all these chapters saying, and then I took this pole and I put some gold on it. And then I took this thing and I put some bronze on it. And then we walked around here and I told him to take the dove. And and we're like, what? Look, man, I'm a Netflix generation. I need some stuff. Right? And God is trying to force you and me to pause and say, I am trying to teach you a concept that is so important to what it means, not to who he is. And I propose that should be enough, but also to who you are. And so I think it's a huge trick of Satan in my life and in your life for you to bypass and not consider. We we, we laughed about in our staff means selah is the word that's used all in in Psalms. And when when he uses that word, the whole point is chill, pause. Think about what I'm saying to you right now. Don't just turn the page. Think about it. Because I'm trying to do something that will help gratify and help you. We talked about, I think, sisters pray for joy in our lives. You want joy? He says, pause. Think about what I'm telling you. I think it's a huge trick of Satan here. This whole concept. These signposts. This altar. This sacrifice. What is he doing? I want you to, thr- I want, you to want to know. What is he doing here? These are signposts. These are signposts. What I mean by that. The signpost, right, isn't the destination, right? Right? You don't, you know, somebody says, you know, yeah, and, and my friends who know me well, I have no sense of direction. Um, and so people give me directions, 
and they give me samples. So they give me clear directions, and then Leon say, hey, but also, man, if you keep going past the dairy, man, you went too far, E, and you know how you are, right? Now, what I don't, you don't tell me the dairy so I can park in front of the dairy and wait there. That's to point me in the right direction. And so here, what God is doing here is he's giving us important, serious signposts to say, if you follow this direction, it's going to take you somewhere in a beautiful fashion. It's going to change your life. That's what he's doing here. Let's see where the signposts are going. Verse 9. Which I propose, these two signposts are here is altar and sacrifice. Altar and sacrifice. What is he doing here? Verse 9. You shall make the court of the tabernacle on the, on the south side. The court shall have hangings and fine twine linen and 100 cubits long for one side. Its 20 pillars and their 20 bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise, for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, its pillars 20 and their bases 20 of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. Verse 12. And for the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars pillars and 10 bases. The breadth of the court of the front up to the east shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. Verse 15, on the, one side, on, on the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. Uh, for the gate of the court, shall be, sh- there shall be a screen 20 cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases. Verse 17. All the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, the breadth 50 and the height five cubits with hangings of fine twine linen and bases of bronze. Verse 19, family. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light. Um, Now we're talking about the light. Now we're talking about the menorah. that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Verse 21, in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. So we have another flag. We have another signpost. Okay, so we got this light, and it's, and it's not in the Holy of Holies. It's in the holy place. And he's saying this light doesn't go out. And the people of God, the Levites, they'll keep filling it. They'll make sure this thing stays filled. Think about that. Aaron, his son, shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout the gener- their generations by the people of Israel. Okay, so what's going on? Think about this term holy. Holy, okay? Holy means dedicated or consecrated to God. Um, it's a cousin, sanctified, set apart for God, right? Uh, so dedicate or consecrate to God or religious purpose, sacred. Uh, there's many words. I could have, we could have gone through all, but I, I think we kind of get what holiness is. I, I know we know it's other. We're like, man, when I think of holiness, I kind of think I can't relate. Is that fair? <laughs> I know it's other. I know it's perfect. I know it's pure. I know it's sacred. It's all these things that I just can't touch. 
And, and I, I can remind myself here and there because God has given me that communicable attribute, as it were, to be holy. But, man, it seems kind of out there, right? So notice something. In verses 9 through 19, so we just saw he builds the stuff in verses 1 through 9. And then in verses 9 through 19, we get this, this, this courtyard itself, and we get this sacred space. Now, don't miss this, y'all. I want y'all to stay with me. You get this sacred space. And you got the space in which the animals will be brought for sacrifice, right? In which the worshipers, they enter. So you got the animals brought for sacrifice. you got the worshipers, they enter the space. Um, but they're not allowed into the tent of meeting. But, but, they, but they are allowed into the courtyard. And then those who are not part of the people of God aren't even allowed into the courtyard. Right? So you got this thing here where you see in the courtyard, kinda, it kind of demarcated sacred space to worshipers. What is God doing here? He's, so he separates things. He says, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this for centuries. We're going to separate the, the common uh, from, from the sacred. We're going to do this. We're going to teach you something. He separates classes of people. This is weird, right? And actually, you, it was funny is, is you even have other cultures, other pagan cultures that did this. They, 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 they try to separate, you know, d- different classes. Now, in, in, in this point, he was separating the, the, the Levites, the, the, the priestly class. From, from the rest of the people of God. But they were still separate. So why do, you, why do you separate the sacred from the profane? Here's the thing. Don't miss this. Separation was never to teach idolatry. It was never to teach idolatry. Why do I say that? Because what did the Israelites learn? We learned idolatry. Okay, God separate us. We must be better than you. Okay, cool. I get it, God. And so, after, so then you get into the New Testament and you got the separate piece. But how, but how are people thinking? People are thinking, I'm separate because we're, we're the real people of God. Right? So we walk around even saved and we kind of, do, do we have compassion on those who are lost? So we're like, man, you can go to hell. I'm so glad I'm the real people of God. Look at me. Grace all over me. It was never to create idolatry. It was never to say we're here and you're there. Look at how low you guys are and you need to be like us. It was never for that. But God did it. He put these markers and he separated and he said, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to continue to remind you as I separate you that there is a difference. There's a difference between the sacred and the, and, the, and the common. I want to propose to you it was never for idolatry, and we know that. It was always to teach holiness. God's point was holiness. Holiness. You ever try to, you ever try to do that? You ever try to make an example, right, and uh, someone takes it the wrong way? He'd be like, hey, I didn't mean that. You ever done that? I could, I could, the only one me and Sarah could think of, I couldn't think of one, y'all, but I, I wish I'd had more time. I could think of one history, but I wanted one a little closer, but I'll tell you this one anyway because it was just funny to me. It might not even fit the analogy, but it was really funny. So I'm teaching. Sarah and I were dating. We were ser- seriously dating. We met in uh, West Virginia. I was teaching at a conference thingy, and uh, I'm doing on prayer, and I'm, 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 I think I'm bringing it better. You know, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. And I think it's clear as day. And so at the end, everyone leaves. You know, when you're at a conference, people leave their books, like they leave their books out and stuff. You know, so I see, you know, one of the brochures, and I'm like, I wonder what this person said about what I was sharing, you know. I look, and it said, 
and said, I'm so glad Pastor has taught me whenever I pray, I get whatever I want. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Wait, what? Did I say that? I know that sounds like, I mean, I'm telling y'all, that's what it, it, it was, me and Sarah laughed for like five minutes. I was like, man, I got to clear some stuff up next session, you right? Person was like, yeah, man, I'm so good. Thanks, Pastor, for telling me, just pray and God, get whatever I want. I'm like, ooh, that's, that's not what I meant. That, that wasn't where I was going. I even think of, I even think of the Reformation. Think about it. We as Reformers, we actually think the Reformation was, was proposed because of where we are now. This is absolutely what Luther did not want. He is called the Reformation. He wasn't trying to start a whole nother movement of Christians. He was trying to reform Catholicism. He wanted to be a Catholic, but he wanted all the crap out of it. Right? He wanted pure Catholicism. He wanted he wanted get out the indulgences, quit getting paid for Jesus, all that stuff crazy, quit talking to other people in Christ, make sure the word of God is 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 what we li- listen to, not just traditions. He wanted some purity within Catholicism, but he wanted to be a Catholic. Just I don't know if y'all knew that, right? The Reformation, the goal was not, hey, let's be the Reformed Church of America, or the PCA. That wasn't his goal. Right? Now, God is sovereign in that, but sometimes we, uh, we mistake things that people mean. And I think we got it real, real messed up with, with Jesus. Is it God's point in all the separation throughout history was for you and I to recapture, to understand, to embrace holiness. First, that God is holy, that he is other. That God is, that, that basically, how do I say this? That everything is a derivative of God. Do, do, we, do we, you know, do we, he, God makes the rules. Right? Like God isn't holy because he obeyed all the laws. He made the laws. And actually, if God broke a law, then the rules of holiness would change, not God. Think about that. That's how deep God is. If God wanted to change the rules of holiness, all he had to do was do something different than what he said. And just like that, things change. Because that God is so outside of us. He's not holy because he keeps the rules. Now, I, I, I dwell on this because I, I'm, I'm convinced as I walk around and as we share and do life, holiness is under attack. Guys, I cannot just keep it real. You know, here's, here's the thing. I get, y'all probably wonder, Eric, why are you always, because I'll, I'll, I, will, I'll, I will trip on some churches, not in, an, in a non-ecumenical way, but I get frustrated with cupcake punt churches that aren't teaching the gospel. Sorry, I do. Okay? And the goal isn't divisiveness. Hear me there. The goal is not for me to be divisive. The reality is holiness is serious to God. And so when I, I get frustrated when we walk in places and the whole focus of the time together when we're exalting Christ is to appease you. Is to not hear the word holiness and God's perfection and God's centrality being the focus. So you do hear me tripping and saying things and then having to take some stuff back and every once in a while being actually, actually truthful and helpful. 
Because we're frustrated with that. And guess what? We, we are held accountable to make sure that you don't leave this body thinking that holiness isn't paramount. Having a low view of what does it mean to be like God. Why is it important, family? I'm telling you, this text is about God wanting you and me to recover this sense of like, oh, God is holy. He, that's why he put all these rules in here to just keep reminding me. He got me running around grabbing doves and grabbing chickens and all this stuff and doing it this way. And I can't just do it. can't just cook it the way I want to cook it. I got to do it the way he wants me to do it. That's right, because I'm God and you're not. I mean, can you imagine? His point is for you to see the, the, have the audacity. That God has the audacity to tell us exactly what he wants and to demand it exactly from us. That's just crazy in our world today. Can I tell you a couple of reasons why holiness is so important? The first I talked about it is who God is, right? I want to point to you, I want to say to you, holiness points to the value of God, right? It, 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 the reason why it's important is because it points to, man, that God, that it shows that he had, that's the value he has, that he he is God. He is perfect. It points to the, that you value who he is. It's truly a value derivative that you, that you embrace and understand, oh, okay. It, it's a reflection of who God is. And so when you recognize that, when you embrace that, what you're saying is you embrace God. Right? We have no rights, but God is right. Can I share another one that just, and these are just two. And there's, like, there's like 17 I wanted to go into. And these are two. I, want, I, want you to, I want you to really just think about the sense that, man, when, when I talk about God being holy and holiness in itself, that, man, I, I, am, I, am, I am reminding God that, man, he has, man, he, that's, it's subscribing, it's reflecting on his value. But you know the funny thing about holiness, I wonder why Satan kind of tricks us, is that when we are holy, now don't, don't miss this, okay? Because you can do stuff and not be holy. Okay? You can, do, you, can be, you can sometimes be obedient and not be holy. But the sense of obedience and relationship and understanding who God is, that sense of, that sense of holiness it's an indicator that you are actually connected to God. That when you're holy, when you choose to say, I'm going to do what God would do, that just reminds God that he made you. That reminds you that God made you. That reminds the person who sees that as a witness that they answer to God. It's actually, it's a beautiful thing because it reminds the world that, man, you're connected to God. Can I even take it even a step further that I propose is extremely theologically accurate? And I say the, the study of God that is accurate can pertain to the study of God. When you are holy, that is actually the time when you are being most fully human. Do you understand that? That's why there's a fight for it. 
Because if Satan can get you just to kind of just, just experience a little common grace but not truly be who God created you to be. That's why, how does it make sense when he says, be holy for I'm holy? See, we think holiness is like, God says, be holy for I'm holy. So, okay, he wants me to do some stuff. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. It's anthropological. God is saying, be holy for I am holy because he said, when I made you, that was the trait. That was intrinsic. I put that in you. I want you to actually be fully. I want you to operate the way I made you to operate. And the way I made you was for you to experience, enjoy, see mine, and be holy. To want godness. To want what God wants. To hate what he hates. When you're doing that, when I'm doing that, that's when you finally, you're like, oh, wow. That felt real, that felt human. That felt, you ever, I mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, I'm the, I'm the crazy sinner up in here. Have you ever found yourself, like, wanting to do something really foul? And then God gives you the grace to say, no, I want holiness. And that feeling you get. When God allows you to be obedient, go out. This is good. I'm being like my Savior. This is what God wants me to be. You've never had that? My goodness, you guys need to get out more. <laughs> You've never, man, I just, I just, I mean, I struggle with my sin. I'm like, yeah. And so when you look at verse 20 and 21, this whole sense of the manure, the, 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 this, the signpost of the lampstand, this, this burning light. So imagine you got these, these, these signposts God is putting up because he's wanting. See, this is a, this is, you ever had, see, we want it fast, man. We want to learn something. We want to learn it quick. I, I was, me and Sarah were just talking about some different things we were seeing online. I was just marveling like, this is such an information-driven society now. Like, I can't even, I'm just, I'm like, man, I don't, guys, I'm just not as smart as y'all. Because I can't do it. I can't keep reading every document and trying to show I'm cool and I know this thing and I saw this sermon. I, I just can't do it. I, I'm, can I confess that to y'all? So don't send me everything. Because I can't do it. I'm like, how do people do this? How do they, how do they know what this, every person says here and this person said this and everything's so quick and you got to be informed quickly and everybody should be in the know quickly and you should have. I, it just freaks me out. I'm like, I'm really old school. I thought I was like, cool. I'm like, man, I can't do it. And I, I say that to say, I look at this, and I, I, I can relate to this. I can relate to God saying, I'm going to teach you something for a thousand years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to teach it to you, and then you're going to go, cool, I learned that. And then next week, you come in, what you got for me, Jesus? I'm um, holy. We talked about that last week. Well, that's what I want you to know. I'm holy. Thanks, Jesus. Okay. Okay, next week. Hey, what are we talking about today, Lord? Man, I'm really holy. I'm really holy. And I made you to be holy. Okay. Uh, can I get a new verse or something? Right. I, I, I feel like I feel this whole concept of God saying, you know what? Here, here's the thing, though. You know why he does it? Because we don't get it. We think we learned something. And you leave here, Right? And in two minutes, what have we talked about? You know, you know the most humbling thing, and, t- and, and, and I'm sure Pastor can describe it, it's the most humbling thing, but I'm, I've learned to this. I don't care who gets the credit, is when I've shared something here 
for three years straight. And then some goofball comes in here and teaches and says the exact same thing. And then everybody talking about, it was, all, it was wonderful. He talked about <laughs> grace. I'm like, I've been I'm talking about grace for eight years, Carl. What? I mean, I must humble myself. Oh, for real, it was good? Oh, okay, okay. My goodness. I'm like, okay, whoever gets the credit, you believe in grace? You, let, you get your experience in grace now? Praise, that's the goal. Go live in grace. Praise God. I don't care who taught you. So, so these signposts, so you got the menorah here. You got this. So, you, so, so first they come in, they see their need. And when we talked about a while ago, they're never in the Holy of Holies. So now they're, they're doing this thing by faith. They're like, okay, the rumor is that there's a holy God hanging out in there. And they get to see the remnants of that, right? They get to see God do things in culture and defeat enemies and things of that sort. But, man, they don't get to be in the place. They don't get that intimacy that we all get now, praise God, because of Jesus. So I, want, so I don't know how to even disconnect. I'm trying to help you guys see how, what your relationship would look like without Jesus but, but having a relationship with Yahweh, I, I can't even, right, I can't even, I don't know how to express that. I mean, give me more time. I'm going to try to rethink on it, think on that. But I want us to feel that. Well, they get, but they get something. They get a little, they get a little, a little, a flashlight, as it were, no pun intended. They get the, they get the light. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're sitting there, you, you, you're cooking your animal, you're doing your things, and they see it, and they're kind of peeking in. They see the little light, you know, okay, cool, that's cool. Every once in a while, I get to see a little gold here, a little gold there. I mean, we're inquisitive people, right? People are in history. I mean, you, you, you're devout. You're doing your thing. You know, you're in there. But you ain't trying to look and peek into the curtain. Come on. I'm the only thug up in here. I'm not being there. What's the deal? What they doing up in there? I saw Jerry. What? Right, so. But this perpetual burning, why do you think that's happening? If the light is the divine presence, think of it, friends. If the light is the divine presence, this perpetual burning, this perpetual is reminding people of that consistent, faithful presence of God, right? And guess what? Not that he is a consistent, faithful presence of the unseen God, but that basically, hey, that presence is reminding you that the promises that have been given and are being given to the people of Israel will be accomplished, so I want to propose to you that it's this sense of, 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 of a reminder of future grace. Right? It's a reminder that, man, okay, God is one day. It's that one day. That, that, that light is that one day light. Right? God is doing something, and he will do something. And so here's the movement here. So I think it's a powerful thing. The movement of the passage is kind of like, God providing uh, this altar for his people. And then I just propose to you in Hebrews, praise God, if you're now in this day and age, may I remind you, if you have said yes to Jesus, you get to experience this fully. But if you have not said, you know, if you haven't said yes to Jesus or you play in church or whatever your journey is, and hear me, if you're not a believer or you've kind of fooled yourself or you kind of know you fooled yourself and God has given you that grace, we've all been there here. Let, me just, let us just identify with our people here. So no one's feeling like, man, my sin's too grave, or I feel dumb because I know I've been playing games. And Don't feel like that, because we've all done that. Can we be honest? So can, I want to embrace any person in here, if you're not experiencing this grace, experience it today. Because you have this sense of this, this, this altar, and then Hebrew says that, that, no, actually, 
Jesus is that altar. That's what the text said. He's our real altar. Right? And so you have this altar that we come before God and, we, and we're reminded. And that's what communion is about, by the way. Can I even take a, let's take a this theological commercial? Communion, that's what it does. It reminds us of a lot, right? You know what it should remind you of? That you can't have communion with God unless there's sacrifice. And the sacrifice was his, his bloodied son murdered for you. Every time you take it, it's a reminder that intimacy came at a price. It's a reminder. There's nothing short of entering to the, the holy place and saying, oh, my goodness, here I am again. Markers. These markers are to provide a redemptive juice in your heart, to remind you. And so that altar moves you, right? The altar moves you to the sense of like, oh, there's an altar. I'm in need because I'm broken. All I bring is my sin. Guess what it points me to? Holiness. It points me to, wow, I'm in need because there is a holy other one being who's he's in control of everything. And then he reminds me, I'm holy, but also I made you holy. That I'm just not saying I'm holy, do this. I'm saying, hey, you break my heart because you're not being who I called you to be. And I want to reinstitute that. So I'll give my son so you can be that. And then we experience that grace. We experience that, 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 that holiness. We, oh, God makes me holy, free. Right? You become holy the day you say yes to Jesus. And then what he does, he points us to future grace. Right? That's what he does. He, he then says, now, you're whole, now you get to experience. But guess what? All that is in a grace bubble. So all that's happening and you're in grace. And then God says, I'm pointing you to being who you are. And then one day, and that's why, why do I say that? Because the menorah is nothing short of Revelation 22. What does God say? He says, guess what? When I stand up on the scene, you need no lamps. You need no lights. I'm your light. So the point, you, you, the Jew is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I remember that's, that, uh, that's that, 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 that signpost was pointing me to Jesus being a full light. Future grace. So they didn't know all that then, but guess what? We have no excuse. You got Revelation 22. God wants to prepare you. God says, you ain't got no excuse. I'm telling you right now, when things are hard, he says, future grace, future grace. I promised it to them. Did I not kill my son? Now embrace me. Experience the altar of my son. Experience the, the, the beauty of being able to be redeemed and experience the holiness, experience full humanity. Full human. Right? Some of us, we've cheated on our spouses. We've, we've done things that are abhorrent. Right? Some of us are are emotionally connected to people we shouldn't be connected to. Some of us are, are we're, we're, we have no integrity at our jobs. Some of us are just angry. What I'm saying is that we all are broken. We got stories. We all have stories that need to go on the altar. We all do. And I want to tell you, God gives us that grace to put them on there now. Today. Right now. It's not that, it's not, oh, he can't, no, he can handle it. And then what he wants to do is he wants to remind you, here's how I've made you. Not just do it, be full human. And then he gives us that strength, that hope, when I get to see that light, that future grace. 
This is a Selah text. This isn't the two things you do. Think about it. Here's what we're going to do. We're responding to worship. Let's respond together. We're going to do our tithe and our communion, okay? Check out those verses. Revelation 22, verse 5. Experience that grace bubble I told you about.